Con Radio, presented by Wizard World. Radio for geeks. Well, dudes, Michelangelo here from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original one. Yeah, and you are listening to Candare Podcast. It happens to be a tribute to comics and pop culture, like yours truly, Cowabunga! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. I am Jeremy Colley, and I am alone in the studio this week as we're taking the week off. We decided not to record a new episode this week because we were just so worn out from uh, the weekend, our past weekend at the Space Con here in Columbus, Ohio, the Small Press and Alternative Comic Expo. It was a whole lot of fun. We got to check out a lot of cool comic books and meet a lot of cool artists, uh, a lot of which we're going to be talking about and inviting on the show over the next few months. So a lot to look forward to there. It was really cool because we got to meet a few people we've uh, actually had on the show, first being Brian John Mitchell of Silver Media. We had him on the show some time ago to talk about the uh, mini comics that he makes, and we actually got to grab a handful of them. So it's really cool to actually own them now. So yeah, go to silvermedia.com and uh, check out what he's got going on. We also got to catch up with Joseph Cavell and Alex Kolsar of No Need for Bushudo, a webcomic that takes place in uh, feudal Japan that's actually been posting online now for over 10 years. That's crazy to think about. It's a really good comic. Really think you guys should check it out. That's uh, No Need for Bushudo. And just go to nn4b.com to check it out. Oh, yes, and Joe, as promised, this is for you. But anyway, overall, we had a great time at the convention. We got a lot of exposure, got to meet a lot of cool people, like I said. And um, I just want to throw some thank yous out there to some people that made this all totally possible for us. Uh, first, Frank Mueller and Sal Brucolari of AcesAndEightsPress.com were uh, kind enough to send us some merchandise to uh, sell on our table. You should check out their website. They have a lot of strong titles on there. That's the letter A. Again, the letter A. The number eight, the number eight dot com, aa eight eight dot com, and also big thank yous uh, go out to Think Alike Productions, uh, Ruben Romero, uh, Bob Sally, and especially to Richard Rivera and Wayne Hall. Richard Rivera is the writer of the comic book Stabity Bunny, which we were pl- privileged enough to have at our table and was definitely the uh, big seller at our table all weekend. Uh, and also of Wild Bull and Chipper, which has uh, a Kickstarter about to start at the beginning of May for the second issue. Stay tuned. We will be definitely giving more information on that and uh, telling you how you can support that project. And also Wayne Hall of uh, Wayne's Comic Podcast on Majorspoilers.com. If you haven't heard this show yet, check it out. It's a really good show. Uh, He's been producing Wayne's Comic Podcast now for over five years, and what he does is has uh, comic artists and writers on the show to talk about their projects in depth. And uh, just a really good show. He really knows what he's doing. And uh, both of these guys were great assets to have with us over the weekend. One, to help us get on our feet at our very first con, and uh, two, to get some very useful advice from a person who's been podcasting much longer than I have. You could say that they were our Obi-Wan and Yoda for the weekend. So, again, big thanks out to those guys, everyone at Thinkalike Productions and at AcesAndEightsPress.com. If it wasn't for you guys, it wouldn't have been possible. 
All right, and with all that behind us, let's just get right on with the show. Uh, as we're taking the week off, I'm going to leave you with another uh, classic interview of ours that we uh, did toward the beginning of our canned career, if you will. We got the opportunity to talk with Jim Lawson, who was one of the original artists who worked alongside Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman on the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics, and is also responsible uh, for creating the character The Rat King. In this interview, we talk with Jim about how he got started with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the inspiration behind the character The Rat King, and uh, some projects he's moved on to after the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I just can't tell you how much fun we had uh, doing this interview with Jim. You know, not only did we get to talk to him about his uh, career, but then we got to uh, geek out with him on a fan level about the characters we all love. So, without further ado, here's our interview with Jim Lawson. Our guest today is a professional comic book artist who is best known for his work on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles during his 25 years with Mirage Studios. He's also the creator of Paleo, Tales from the Late Crustaceous, and currently has a Kickstarter running for his uh, latest project, A Walk Through Dinosaur Land. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Jim Lawson. Thanks for being with us, Jim. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm just tickled pink. I'm a huge, huge Turtles yeah. fan, and I'm a little nervous. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? <laughs> so I might get tongue-tied here and there a little bit. but. Um... <laughs> Well, I'm nervous, too. I'm terrible at this stuff. So uh, if, if you see me uh, kind of searching for words and, and stalling and muttering, you'll, you'll know that, you know, it's just my nerves getting. <laughs> Fair enough, man. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump all the way back to the beginning. How did you get your start in comics? Where did uh, your inspiration come from? You, you know what, Jeremy? Ba- basically, I, I've always been a kind of like an, an artist or, you know, a, a guy that loved to draw. So, like, as far back as I, I can remember in elementary school, you know, I was kind of like the kid in the back of the class with his head down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would draw these big kind of like um, in my line notebook pads, I would draw these big like war scenes of these like planes and ships like shooting at each other and stuff like that. I got, I, I don't know where that came from, but uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I frustrated my teachers. I, I was naturally a poor student, but I kind of always knew that um, I loved art, and that's what I wanted to do. And so I kind of squeaked my way through school and uh, went off to art school. You know, I was kind of, I, I've got to admit my, my comics knowledge, I, w- I was a comics reader when I was a kid, you know, a young kid. And then, you know, I kind of I got out of it a little bit and was never really into, like, the the real superhero-y type stuff. What, what, what was I buying? Spider-Man was a big one I was buying. That That's an exception, but... You know, back then it was like uh, Werewolf by Night. I know me and my sister would buy buy that book and Ghost Rider, and uh, mm. uh, there was a Dracula comic and Swamp Thing. All those guys I, I loved. Um, and uh, then I stopped. And then I went to art school, and I was thinking I was going to be more like along the lines of an illustrator. Um, I always think of Brad Holland, who was kind of a guy back then who was kind of hot in the illustration business. I wanted right. to be like him. Um, and I can remember when I was at art school, it was down in Connecticut, you know, I met this kid who did this little kind of like ash can little comic book, and it was called like Nick Danger or something like that. And he was kind of like this private eye, I can remember very distinctly this panel where he's like looking out through uh, like a Venetian blind window, and he's like peeling apart the, 
the the lines on the Venetian blind with his hand, you know, and you know, I was like, well, well you know, wow, this I'd never seen really comics that way before. It always been like newsstand to me, right? And it was kind of I thought I thought it was really cool. Um, and then uh, you know, got a degree in illustration, uh, came home and um, you know, got a got a kind of a a little piddly job at the local paper and through a friend of a friend my friend knew Pete's wife Janine and she was like oh I've got this friend she you know she's an English teacher at the high school and her husband along with his partner they're having a success with this comic book and I told them about you and they agreed you know they would you know you could go over and meet them and you know talk about comics and stuff and and that's exactly what happened and wow. uh, I went to talk to Kevin and, and Pete you know, uh, it was over at Kevin's apartment. He was sharing with Steve Levine at the time. They were these crazy guys running around, you know, shooting each other with these little disc guns and, you know, <laughs> acting very childish and having just a great, great time. And, uh, you know, kind of amazed, I think, at the success that the book was having. I couldn't even tell you what issue. It was probably around issue three, maybe, at the time I met those guys, somewhere in there. Wow. So real early. And, um, yeah, they, I, you know, I had my portfolio, and they just said, oh, you want to try inking a backup story, which, you know, that was, I think, Prime Slime Tales at the time. Uh, this guy, I think his name was Tony Basilicato, had come to them with this uh, Prime Slime Tales, this kind of crazy cat character. Um, and uh, Tony was, you know, writing and penciling the stories and asked me if I want to try inking it, and, which I, I did. And, and ever since then, I've been with those guys. How freaking Yeah, it's just, you know, good timing and good fortune and good luck. Yeah. So what was your uh, impression of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when you first heard of them? I mean, did, had you any knowledge of them before going to meet Kevin and Pete? Or was what would what, you think the first time you saw them? I, I had no, no, I had no knowledge of them. It, it was all new to me. Um, you know, I, I thought it was great. You know, from you know, of course, everyone's first reaction to the name uh, is kind of uh, mild curiosity and amusement, I guess. But you know, once I saw, you know, the comics were kind of like gritty and hardcore, kind of, uh, you know, the kind of stories that appealed to me, you know. Sure. And and so when I I saw what they were doing, you know, I, I thought it was just cool as hell. And uh, you, you know, once again, it it was kind of that alternative kind of non-standard comic, you know, non-superhero-y thing. You know, uh, I I just thought it was great. It, it kind of blew me away. I saw on the internet that uh, it was saying you were one of the original drafters of the Creator's Bill of Rights. Is that accurate? You know what, Jeremy? Back back in the day, um, I don't know. I'm going to try and give you like short answers that make sense. To be honest with you, the, the answer, if someone were to ask me that, I would probably have to say no. You know, I, I, I would... I would say it's Kevin and Pete, and I, I don't even know if it, it was like a Declaration of Independence thing where everyone signed it and so on. <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you if my signature's on there or not, but it was mostly those guys kind of like setting it up, and just by uh, my association with them, you know, I, I honestly couldn't tell you if I was included or not. I mean, I was there, I was aware of it, but, you know, I would put down my participation in it as probably somewhat low. Yeah. So what are Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird like to work with? I mean, I know you said they're very, they were very playful and uh, having a lot of fun, but when it, when it comes to, to get down to business, I mean, what were they like to work with? You know, really, really cool. Um, you know, uh, 
when we talked earlier, you mentioned the Creator's Bill of Rights in the in the early early days of the studio. You know, everything was you know the, they wanted to treat all the artists as good as they possibly could. I I honestly felt more or less we were all on the same equal footing. Um, there was a real you know, well, there's that word creative again. You know, kind of like an energy in in the beginning that was really really positive. You know, Kevin's personality was. You know, Kevin was younger, uh, kind of a little, a, a little more wild side to him. Uh, Pete, on the other hand, was older, um, probably more reserved, a little less social, maybe. Kevin very social. Pete, Pete not social. Um, so it it was, you know, it wasn't an oil and water type thing, but they were very different guys. And, you know, it was kind of neat. You know, Kevin had a real, I think, you know, an, uh, what do I want to say, like an edgier art style, a very cinematic way, I think, of uh, his panel designs and, and uh, you know, the way he drew his comics. Mm-hmm. You know, Pete, on the other hand, I think was more kind of like cerebral, kind of intellectual. Uh, you know, Pete's real strength, I, I think, was like uh, writing, uh, writing. You know, I want to say like writing scenes. I don't know if that's quite the the way I want it to come out. <laughs> Pete, I think, is brilliant at dialogue, most definitely. Not to say Pete is a bad uh, draftsman. I, I think he's really great. I love his art. Very detailed. You know, Kevin more actiony. Maybe Kevin had a great action sense. I think. You know, it, it, it's funny when I talk about those two guys. I think like you know they both had their strengths, which kind of seem opposite of each other, maybe a little bit. And I think maybe neither one of them separately has had the success that they had when they were together. And that I think was the real kind of like genius of the Ninja Turtles. I guess was having both of them working together. You know, for a while in the in the Turtle book. Um, I think they were starting to go their own. I think they each had maybe their own vision somewhat for the Turtles. And I think for a while there, I always have a tough time, like, nailing down specific issues and stuff like that. But, oh, like, for okay. example, <laughs> Kevin would do an issue like The Untouchables. And then Pete would do an issue. Uh, the one that always pops in my brain is when uh, the Turtles run into this kind of uh, uh, militia group out in the woods. I, I don't I don't know the name of it. But... You know, it, it's and they're both great, but I, I think when the two of them get together, that's when the real magic happens. You know, You're right? That's that's neat. Two yeah. people from opposite ends of the spectrum being able to yeah. put something out as awesome as this. Very cool. <laughs> well, it's it's been about a year, I'd say, just over a year that we've been doing this show, right? Mm-hmm. And that's about the time like we both start getting heavy back into comics, and uh, it's when I first started really digging back into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books uh, as deep as I have been lately. And uh, one of the stories that I read was one you had wrote and uh, did the art for was uh, The Path. The story of uh, Michelangelo and his cat Clunk uh, came yeah. highly recommended to me, and I read it and fell in love with it. I'm a, we're both huge animal lovers here, and um, I could really relate to that story at the time. Is Can you tell us the inspiration of the, the story of The Path? Well, let's see. Going back, i gotta, I got to kind of remember now. Um, you know, I'm an animal lover, too. You know, I've got a cat, a couple of dogs. Um, and it was the story of Clunk. He actually dies in the story, but he gets, yeah, he gets hit by the car, and then uh, Michelangelo takes him. Oh, yeah, he runs into um, kind of this homeless woman who takes him to this kind of, like, shaman-type guy who could actually save Clunk. But the thing is that Michelangelo would have to make the decision to uh, 
like sacrifice another life to save Clunk, and he, he just can't do it. I, I I always like stories. You know, I, I I like the idea first of all to have the story of uh, you know what happens to uh, Clunk. We've probably you guys have probably been through this too of losing a pet. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty hardcore thing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, I, I I like a lot of stories that kind of like go really into the kind of like emotion, the emotion of the character. I guess. No, I see what you mean. It's it's yeah. going from just fighting uh, endless bad guys to uh, tackling your inner emotion, something you deal with just uh, at your own home, something you would, wouldn't typically see from uh, the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, and and I think it really, you know, there there's like a connection when something they go through something themselves that you know, for example, we we've gone through. You know, could mm-hmm. could we ourselves ever make this choice? You know, then then Michelangelo was kind of. Um, stuck with and you know it was good for him because i think i don't know so much in the early early days but of course his character has developed now into this kind of like goofy right kind of silly guy so so particularly to have him you know he he i could see him as the the one who would be most you know emotionally connected to to clunk right and so to have him kind of like deal with this really serious kind of decision and and could he would he do it um you know i just thought it was a really interesting story yeah, you get to see that character grow a little bit in that story. It was beautiful. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. What I don't think a lot of people know, or maybe they do, is that uh, you created uh, the Rat King, the character of the Rat King, and he debuted in Tales of TMNT uh, issue four called I Monster. Yeah. Where did the idea for that character come from? You know what? Um, <laughs> it, it's pretty interesting. I, I grew up in Connecticut, and, and I have to say I very, very loosely based this guy on um, there was a guy that lived in Connecticut, I want to say in the late 1800s, and they called him the Leather Man. And really? he was kind of this um, this homeless guy who had a, a route. Uh, and what I mean by that is he, he would kind of wander around this predetermined route. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he kept a regular schedule, but it, it, it was crazy, Jeremy. It was like over 300 miles long, and he would... He would travel around and, you know, uh, he'd show up, I guess, at people's houses and they would expect him because this was kind of like what, what this guy did. And from what I understand, he was kind of like a, uh, he came from France, or I think he was a French speaker, and I don't even know if he spoke any English. But So he would, he would walk around and, and live in caves and, uh, you know, take, I guess, people knew of him and they would, you know, give him food and, and this and that. And the thing with him was he wore this leather suit that he made for himself, and it was all little patches and pieces. I, I can think of one photograph, probably if you went on the Internet and uh, Googled the leather man, you'd probably find this guy. Oh, I'm definitely going to uh, <laughs> he was kind of like a, a floppy hat, and, you know, you can imagine how heavy this leather suit was he sure. wore. Crazy. And I don't know anything else about this guy other than that, but, um, you know, it kind of made me think how interesting it would be to have this character that uh, lived in the woods and kind of like... You know, he was, you know, delusional, you know, insane or whatever, you know, took on this persona, persona of of this monster. And, you know, even though he was, you know, he was a man, he, he could basically give all that up and be whatever he wanted to be. So right. I, I thought it was kind of neat, you know, what what would happen if, if he ran into the turtles. At the end of the story, he kind of like, even though all through the story he fears the rats, you know, when he's finally forced to be with them, you know, they kind of befriend him, I guess, 
you know, for lack of a better word. So he kind of made, makes that quick switch in his brain and, and, you know, decides that he's now the Rat King. So That's awesome. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, looking at the the pictures, you know, of, from that comic of the Rat King, it looks like in the 80s cartoon they did uh, a pretty close variation of the same character. Just a guy who lived in the sewer was just wearing some tattered clothes. But in more recent incarnations of the character, whether it be in the comic or in the cartoon, he's really taken on a much, much darker tone. Uh, I know in the recent cartoon he's got his eyes covered up. He has like a big, like, uh, big brim hat on, a long leather coat, kind of going back to what you're saying about Leatherman. But uh, what do you feel of the character's uh, more recent incarnations? Do you like how dark he's gotten? Or you, you know, I, I don't mind how dark he's he's gotten. I guess although it, it, it has gone a long way from just kind of like this kind of delusional guy. Uh, you know, now now it seems like he's you know. It, in in my version, he wasn't really an evil character, really. Right. Whereas now he seems like he's truly a bad guy. Right. The the design of him, I, I just don't get it. Uh, he he looks like a, a Mexican preacher or something. <laughs> I, I don't understand where they got that design or how they thought it was cool, but yeah, and he looks like his face is like like dead and decayed. He's missing teeth. It was just yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, he looks like a zombie or something. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Oh my, I'm looking at a picture of him now. <laughs> oh, he's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing uh, that something that terrifying is in a show intended for children, you know. But uh, I mean, I'm eating it up. But it's you, just know, a, you know that you, you talk about that recent cartoon. I, I gotta say, I, I'm pretty amazed at how good it's been. I'm a big fan. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it, they just encompasses all the best aspects of all the different uh, TMNT stories told. I mean, you see clips from, you know, things from the comics, little bits and yeah. pieces from the movies, uh, from yeah. the cartoons, all meshed very well. I, I, I agree. I, I'm I'm really wow. There were a few recent episodes. Um, there was kind of like the the Rat Fink Donnie mutant car thing, which you know we we did a comic like that. Oh really? Uh, yeah. One of the tales. Um, uh, one of the tales issues was um, you know we had a character Von Clutch, which was was a kind of like a an homage to uh, you know Big Daddy Roth, and uh, it was Casey and oh, who was he with? I want to say Mike out in the southwestern desert, and they they raced this Von Clutch character, and I can remember even um, way back in the Mirage days, we did kind of like a portfolio of. Um, just like little design, you know, little drawings, you know, each one of us guys in the studio did one. Steve Levine did a kind of a rat think turtle driving a Volkswagen van. And I was like, oh, man, that design looks so close to Steve's. Right. You know, it's really kind of cool. That Napoleon Dynamite episode, I thought. Was, oh, yes. <laughs> that was, was really amazing. good. Yeah. And then today I actually watched it just this morning and they did. They're doing the whole return to New York thing. And they have the kind of three mutant shredder things that were right out of the old Mirage books. Oh, yes. Which I thought was really cool. Oh, my God. God, I can't wait to go downstairs and watch yeah, that. I yeah, know exactly really cool. what you're talking about. I thought another neat thing was they took uh, the the van, the Volkswagen van, and they uh, made it into like the, the 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 party wagon or the turtle van. That's exactly and, and what I was going to say. And on one of the doors, they um, Leonardo painted like Venus with a female turtle, kind of like the old nose art in the airplanes and stuff like that. You're kidding me. Really, 
really cool. I love those little details they, they throw into that cartoon. Very oh, I neat. can't wait to watch this new episode. <laughs> I am just tickled. It's on my DVR. I just haven't got to watch it yet. That's amazing. No, I, I, I was going to also say something about the party wagon, because when the show first came out, they had the... Was it the battle shell, the great big tank looking thing? I was like, yeah, it's kind of like the old school van, but what are you going to do? And then that gets trashed. The next thing you know, they're riding around an old Volkswagen van. It's like, it's coming to fruition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It finally happened. Another uh, cool thing, I think I already told you about this, Jack, was in one of these newer episodes of season three, I think it was, and it may have been that Napoleon uh, Dynamite episode where Mikey's kind of wandering the woods and people are reporting seeing a monster out there and you see sketches of what uh what they've seen in the woods and there's a picture of michelangelo oh, like from the the new michael bay yeah. movie like <laughs> from the movie <laughs> that, was, that was brilliant i lost it <laughs> hey i gotta ask you guys what you thought about the movie oh man um I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I've seen yeah. it a billion yeah. times since then. It's it's a turtles. Oh, really? I'm gonna yeah, gravitate yeah. toward it. But there were a few things here, a few minor complaints I had. Have you yeah. seen it? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. You didn't. You don't sound too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think? I I did not like it at all yeah. to tell you the truth. No, I I, can I, understand. I was very upset. I couldn't sleep that night, and I, really? I never ever do this. And I went online and wrote this kind of scathing review of the movie, and it, it really got to me. I was I was very unhappy. But. Sure. Well, one thing that they took away from the movie that is just a key essential was the whole, uh, you know, Hamato Yoshi and, uh, uh, help me, Oroko Saki backstory, you know, that was the fuel that made the turtles and the whole story, you know, worthwhile. And they take that away. They just make it like a random, uh, random kind of meeting. They just happen to be lab experiments. I did not like that at all. It took away the, uh, the girth of the story. I, I, I got, got to agree with you there. You know, I think one of the cool part about the turtles is kind of like the whole you know history and family thing i guess exactly yeah it, just it, the, the movie really and... lacks the heart <laughs> that i i think had been there exactly well you, you can yeah you feel for those characters through that story and i don't know they it seemed yeah. like they kept trying to hammer home that yeah we love each other we're a family but there's no you know again no real backstory to it it's yeah just, yeah, and we happen to be next to each other in a lab, so I'm going to yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, anyway, I could sit and bitch about that movie all day, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Though I still watch it. I like the I like some of the fight scenes, but uh the end too, the Let's let's play a childhood game, and that'll that's a that's little what, beat yeah. shredder that's been whooping our asses mercilessly this whole time. But anyway, again, I could go on for a little while. All right, well, let's uh, let's move a little bit past the Ninja Turtles and uh, start gravitating a little bit more toward your current Kickstarter you have running now. Anyone who's familiar with your work knows that you're a huge fan of dinosaurs. I mean, not only do you see dinosaurs in some of your uh, turtle works, but uh, also with Paleo, Tales of Lake Crustaceous, Dragonfly in 2013 that was successfully yeah. funded on Kickstarter, and now uh, you're doing a walk through Dinosaur Lands. Uh, yeah. what, is, what is it about dinosaurs? 
<laughs> you know, I, that, that's probably a good question. Uh, other than they're, they're just so much fun to draw. Uh, you know, there's something crazy about them, kind of almost like science fiction. That at one time there were these. I, I, I don't know. There's just something about them. Maybe maybe I never grew up when I was a kid. You know, it seems like all, all kids love dinosaurs. But oh, absolutely. They're just such great creatures, man. Jeez, I wish they were still roaming around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be cool if I, I would love to go. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, not saying that you should be blamed for your love of dinosaurs. I'm just curious if it was more of an actual love for the dinosaurs or just the drawing of the dinosaurs itself. Or um... yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's probably probably with me. It's probably more the drawing of them. You know. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I can't actually call myself a dinosaur expert. Or if you came up to me and said, you know, uh, that species of sauropod had four fingers, not three, I, I would be like, oh, you know, I, I don't know this stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I just think they're they're great and fun to draw. I mean, I'm just having fun with it. Sure, but, you can um, definitely uh, tell that in your stories too. I love looking yeah. through them. I have, I have a lot more to look at again, but. Uh, what I've seen so far is really awesome. And what's coming out here you have on uh, your Kickstarter, which is now successfully funded. Congratulations, right. by the way. Thank, thank you. I appreciate it. But it's still not too late for people to uh, go and pledge money toward it. But it's a story yeah. of uh, two characters, John and Matthew, who travel back through time to witness, and correct me if I'm wrong, this, the scientifically correct evolution of the, the dinosaurs. Yeah, as, as close as I could get it. I mean, you know, to, to me, my, my thing was I've got a lot of, like, dinosaur reference materials and stuff. But I wanted to put something kind of like in an actual timeline. You know, I wanted to see for myself, you know, I did it as much for me, you know, how from like, uh, you know, multi-celled life in the early seas, you know, how, you know, things started crawling up on land and then, you know, uh, uh, gradually, you know, instead of... Um, you know, eggs in the water, like an amphibian, you know, they started laying eggs on land and blah, blah, blah. They began to, uh, you know, develop limbs and shoulders and necks uh, and then uh, walk upright. And then they started climbing in the trees, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, you get a, a T-Rex, you know. I wanted to see for myself what transpired in all those millions of years, you know, sure. kind of like how the whole process went. And that's what these two characters do is kind of witness that. Is this going to be one contained graphic novel star? Is this going to start a whole series? You know, it, it is one con contained graphic novel. Um uh, you know, it, it starts, um, what is it, like the Cambrian Seas and then, um, you know, goes up through the extinction event at the end of the Cretaceous period, and, uh, and then we're done. The characters are done. The, the, the walk is, is over. Um, but, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, like, well, if this does good, you know, I could always do kind of like a, a walk through the land of early mammals or something like that. But, you know, I kind of think the dinosaur thing is, is done as far as that goes. Now, looking at your Kickstarter video, and I was kind of also looking at the Dragonfly video, just to, just doing my research, you know, I noticed uh, there was a character that looks to be reoccurring in both stories, a character, John, the, kind of the turtle humanoid-looking fellow. Is, is he supposed to be the same character? This is an interesting story. Okay, so, you know, we're, uh, I've been working on the Ninja Turtles for a long time, and, uh, you know, the turtles got sold. You know, it was time for us to kind of, like, leave the nest and do our own thing. So so then I do Dragonfly. And, you know, I was thinking, <laughs> oh, man, 
how do I tell this whole story? So I was thinking about this character. I wanted him to be this big, tough guy, and I wanted him to kind of like, I knew the the setting of the story was going to be this land of dinosaurs. So, you know, I kind of needed him to be kind of like a damage proof, you know, in a way. Sure. So so, so here's the thing, you guys. I, I was like, oh, I'll just do a turtle guy. So I came up with this guy, John. He's in the story, blah, blah, blah. And I really like him. But the little thing was is that I got a little bit of flack from some of the guys in the studio. Really? I had that I, yeah, that I'd had a turtle guy. And, you know, honestly, if I was looking at one of the other studio guys and I saw him using a turtle character, I might feel the same way, but they were like, why, you know, why are you doing this? You know, I don't know if they thought it was kind of like trying to exploit my association with the turtles or, you know, whether I was trying to like coattail my project onto the success of the turtles by having a turtle guy in there. But, you know, I got a little bit of crap for it. And so, and so I'd actually written more Dragonflies. I, I've written, I've got four more issues of Dragonfly. The second one was done, I think I was working on the third. And as I was like halfway through inking it, I said to myself, you know, I, and I can remember even having a conversation with my sister. She's like, well, why don't you come up with your own character? And I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to use this character anymore. I'm not going to do any more Dragonflies. Dragonfly is dead. But I think in the meantime, I'd already started. <laughs> started work on Dinosaur Land, and I was like, well, I'm just going to use him for this one more. And yeah, it, he's the same dude. He looks exactly the same. He's, he's, there's no continuity from Dragonfly to Dinosaur Land. There's no other association um, between those two ideas. As a matter of fact, I heard somebody online was talking about Dinosaur Land like it was a sequel to Dragonfly, and it's not. Okay. Total, totally different projects. But gotcha. still, there's this guy I love, this character I love, John, who appears in both. And, and it's funny, uh, you guys, I even, I'm working on another project now. It's more like a regular, a regular comic, uh, kind of a dystopian future, kind of post-apocalyptic thing. And <laughs> there's this guy in it that looks kind of like John once again. I don't know what my problem <laughs> is. I can't seem to shake, I can't, can't seem to shake this guy. He is, however, even though, he looks very similar. He is not a turtle. He is not a turtle. I will not. I will not put another turtle in another project of mine. Oh, oh man! So I, I don't know what it is. I, I just <laughs> are they still giving you flack about it? Um, no, not really. You know, they they probably think stuff, but but you know, it's it, it's not to say you know I have like this kind of bad relationship with guys in the studio where or we're always getting you know giving each other a hard time. But right. but it, it was just you know a few comments were made and and. Um, I, I honestly, not that I ever, I didn't really sit down and talk with Pete about it a little bit, but even he made a comment that, you know, my, my turtle looked just like his, and it seemed like he wasn't wow. very happy about it. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I like the character. I think he looks cool. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> man. appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's not too late for people to go to Kickstarter and put money toward uh, a walk through dinosaur land, and I think all the tears come with either a PDF or a hard copy of the book. Uh, I'm going to have to throw a little bit of money that way myself. I want to I read this thing. It looks mm -hmm. awesome. Thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's up for like two more weeks. So Beautiful. Well, I'll tell you yeah. what we'll do is uh, we'll put a link on our website. We'll help direct people over that way, maybe help get some uh, more donations hit some stretch goals or something i appreciate it cool we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today jim it's been surreal thank you so much hey my pleasure 
All right, everyone. And that was our interview with Jim Lawson. And uh, you can check out everything he's got going on at jimlawsonart.com, a lot of his current projects. And you can even uh, get him to do a commission uh, if you'd like. I'm just a huge fan of his artwork like so many other people are. And uh, as soon as I have a little bit of extra money under my belt, I'm definitely going to be having me a uh, Jim Lawson TMNT commission. You better believe that. (laughs) Well, that about does it for this week. So don't forget to go to www.candairpodcast.com can read up on past episodes listen to past episodes check out the wall of heroes and watch all of our youtube videos on the video page and if you're interested in coming on to the show and uh, promoting your works shoot us an email on our contacts page don't forget to find us on twitter at candarepod and on instagram at canned underscore air jake's really taken to the social media and he's doing it upright so i think you're gonna like what you find there so i think that's going to do it so until next time i am jeremy collie and i thank you all for listening I can't wait to see this movie. But wait, Timmy's blind. But what am I supposed to do? Why not try a podcast? Spirit! Spirit. All the comic and pop culture entertainment you could want in the Candair podcast. Finally, a form of entertainment not fully reliant on visual stimulation. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.